right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 again. We're in this uh, series through Hebrews, and, and in particular in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is all about faith. And we've been seeing these principles, or I referred to them last week as axioms of faith. Um, and we, we see the principles sort of stated in various places, but then illustrated in uh, the lives of God's people throughout the Old Testament. And uh, it, it is a wonderful thing that the Bible kind of gives us both of these things. It, it gives us and states truth uh, and just sort of a bare statement of the truth, but then it also illustrates it uh, with narratives and with stories that can be so powerful. And uh, this morning what we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, uh, is we're going to see that, that faith overcomes Fear. Faith overcomes fear. Let's read our passage this morning, verse number 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho, Jericho fell down after, he had, after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. You know, fear, I think we could say this, is part of the human condition. It's, it's an emotion that all human beings experience. Fear is an emotion that's created by God. Uh, originally, uh, you might think it's strange to think of, of fear being created by God, but, but originally we were created to fear the Lord. That is to hold him in honor and respect. Human beings feared God, and because of this fear for him, there was no need to fear anything else or anyone else. When humans rebelled against God, they rejected the fear of the Lord. And as a result, the world became a very fearful place. You see, fundamental changes, when sin entered the world, fundamental changes occurred to the created world that produced all sorts of fear. So when they rejected the fear of the Lord, they became afraid of everything else in, in the world. The most foundational fear is the fear of death. When death entered into the world, fear entered into the heart of man. Hebrews chapter 2.15, which we dealt with uh, previously in this series, it says this, it speaks of those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. Talking about human beings, all of us in the human condition, because of fear of death, we were subject to lifelong slavery. 
There are so many things in this world that can bring about death so that the world really has become a frightful place. And I'm not sure, I didn't have enough time to really think this all the way through, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that it's too much of a stretch to say that in some way uh, fear of death comes back or, or all other fears ultimately come back to the fear of death. That might be a bit of a stretch, but, but it isn't too much of one if, if it is. In a broken world, of course, fear can be healthy. We fear heights, and we fear animals, because if you fall from a high place, you can be, be killed. If a wild animal is there, it might, might kill you. We, we fear people because they can sometimes hurt us. So in a broken world, fear can be healthy, but because we are fallen, our fear can and, and often is sinful. You read through the Bible, you would be astonished to, to know, to, to see how often you hear these words or this command from God. Fear not, do not be afraid. God commands and exhorts his people over and over again from, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, a common command, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. He warns us in the Bible that the, the fear of man lays a, a trap or, or a snare. In other words, when we fear other people, we, we fall into sinful behavior. He cautions us not to fear man more than we fear God. Fear can keep us from doing what is good and right and what God would have us to do. Just think about in the Bible about all the people who did sinful things and, and the genesis or the beginning of their sin against God was fear of man. You think of Aaron, as we're dealing with the Exodus, it, it comes to Aaron, right? And Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, and, and what does Aaron do? He builds and fashions this golden calf, and when Moses comes back, Aaron says, I was afraid of the people. You were up on the mountain, they were growing disgruntled, and I became afraid. And so he acted sinfully. Of course, Peter denied Jesus. Why? Because of the fear of man. He was afraid of what these people would do to him. Even Pilate, the crucifixion of Jesus, Pilate was afraid of the crowds. And so he said, I find no fault in this man. But he went ahead and allowed Christ to be crucified because he feared man. Fear can cripple us. It can leave us in a state of inaction. It can debilitate us so that we cannot even accomplish ordinary, everyday tasks. And more importantly, it can keep us from loving others and loving God. John says in the epistle of John that perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So we need to, to recognize that fear often is, is sinful. And you go all the way to the book of Revelation and, and the long list of people that it says are going to be cast into the lake of fire uh, along with all kinds of things that we would readily recognize as wicked and immoral. It says there that the fearful and the unbelieving will be cast into the lake of fire. God commands, there's direct commands uh, that, that would indicate to us that fear is something that we cannot embrace even even though there are sometimes that fear is is we would say healthy or or understandable but even that is not a desirable condition the the only reason that we have fear at all 
other than the fear of the Lord is because of sin and because we live in a broken and fallen world. So, so sin is either, at, at, at worst, it's sinful. At best, it's not desirable. It's not how we, we ought to or we're created to operate. What we see this morning as we move into this text is that, that faith-filled courage is really the theme of this exodus and conquest period. In this next section, we move forward into the Old Testament story from the patriarchs to the time of the exodus, from Abraham to Moses. And, and what we're seeing here, just to refresh your memory, is God fulfilling his promises we talked a lot about God's covenant with Abraham, and you remember I said that there were two parts to that covenant. There, there was, first of all, that God would give them uh, descendants, that he would make them a nation. So there were the people, the descendants, but then the second part of that covenant with Abraham is that he would give them the land. And so God began that plan with, with fulfilling that promised to Abraham by giving him Isaac and then Isaac had Jacob and then Jacob had the 12 sons and that that became the nation of Israel that was the people but now they're in Egypt uh, they're enslaved they're in bondage and God sends Moses to bring them out and to bring them into the promised land and to make them this nation in the land of Canaan that's the second part of that Abrahamic promise and God is is fulfilling that but what we see in our text this morning is that the act of fulfillment, this act of God's fulfilling and giving them this promise of land, it would not happen apart from the courageous obedience of God's people. You see, God does fulfill his promises. He always fulfills his promises, but he often uses means to accomplish his purposes. And, and in this instance, the means that he's going to use to accomplish bringing his people out of slavery in Egypt and bringing them into the promised land is the cor courageous faith of his people. Yeah, God is going to do miraculous things. If you know the story of the Exodus, he does do miraculous things. But he wasn't going to just magically transport them out of slavery and remove the inhabitants of the land of Canaan and drop the Jewish people into the promised land. He, he did do miraculous things, but he also used the faith-filled, fear-defying actions of his people as part of the means to bring this about. And when we look at this section, and, and again, Jared did a good job of laying that out, right? How, how the writer kind of begins with the patriarchs and Abraham, Noah, and then Abraham, and so forth. And now we're moving into this next period of time. And, and he's just really following uh, the storyline of the Old Testament. And he's moving in to this period of, of the exodus and, and then the conquest when the people go into the land of Canaan. And, and the thing that he, or the theme that he ties together this section with, I think, uh, is, is just highlighting the faith-filled courage of God's people in the exodus and conquest. So let me show you where I'm drawing from that. I, th I think when we look at these verses, we, we see courage both explicitly stated and clearly demonstrated. So the first one is in verse 23 that we read. By faith Moses, or I'm sorry, yeah, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were not afraid of the king's edict. And in, in verse number 24, we see that Moses has the courage to reject his connection. And, 
And what I'm saying right now, a lot of it depends on you understanding the story that we're going to dig into a little bit more. But I just want to point this out right now. In verse 24, Moses had the courage to reject his connection to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's family and decided rather to be mistreated with God's people. I think that was an act of courage. In verse number 27, uh, that courage continued as he finally forsook Egypt altogether. He fled away from Egypt, rejecting once and for all any tie or connection to, to Pharaoh. And then in verse 28, we see Moses, along with the people, courageously observed the Passover on, the, on that frightful night when the angel of death passed through. And then in verse 29, we have the people of God courageously walking through the, the Red Sea. In verse 30, we have the people of God going against this well-fortified city and, and militarily superior city called Jericho and going, uh, going against them and, and defeating them. In verse number 31, we have Rahab who defied the authorities and, and helped protect the, the spies, an act of courage that could have cost her her life. And I think I've, I've skipped one here. Uh, there's a, a second place where it's explicitly stated. First is, is Moses' parents in verse 23. Uh, but then uh, again in verse number 27, I didn't read this, but let me read it. Talking about Moses when he left Egypt. It says in verse 27, by faith he left Egypt not being afraid. So two different times it's clearly stated that, that their faith, by faith, basically they were courageous and then and then we have this sort of put put around all of these other incidents that demonstrate great courage and so what we see here is i think the the driving force or the theme in all of these verses is that faith overcomes fear even in the most dire situations and frightening circumstances faith is fear defying so let's Go through this a little more thoroughly. First of all, we see here that faith overcomes the fear of wicked authorities. Faith overcomes the fear of wicked authorities. As we've already given a little bit of a synopsis of the story, let me go into a little more detail. Through the sin of Abraham's grandchildren and the providence of God, God's people found themselves living not in the land of Canaan, but in the land of Egypt. At first, you remember they went there because of Joseph, and then there was the famine. At first, they, were, they went there as welcome guests by the Pharaoh himself. But over generations, as their family uh, uh, began to grow, animosity began to grow between the Egyptians and the Jewish people. And the Pharaoh that once loved Joseph and the Jewish people died and and so the the next pharaoh comes on and and knows nothing of joseph and and this division begins to grow and so the pharaoh enslaved the jewish people but however even in slavery right god continued to bless his people and they were multiplying and growing in number Pharaoh perceived this as a threat, and you, you know why. I mean, you, you've got these people, and they're, they're, they just have the blessing of God upon them. They're growing. They're becoming prosperous. Uh, God's hand is just with them. They're, they're beginning to, they, they may outnumber us. They could just take over Egypt, and, and this is going to be their land. So, so Pharaoh enslaves them, but not, not only does he do that, even when they're in slavery, they continue to grow, and God continues to bless them. And so Pharaoh offers or, or issues 
a, a really wicked and evil edict in, in an attempt to, to enforce some kind of population control, he decrees that any Jewish children, any male Jewish children who are born are going to be put to death. Now that would be, if you're a Jewish person, an utterly terrifying situation, right? Imagine that you are one of these families who's expecting a child. Imagine the great fear that would be pervading your mind. I, I know all of us who have, you know, when you're having children, there's all kinds of worries and all kinds of fears and sort of anxieties that you already have just with the idea of, of having a child, right? Uh, but now you put on top of that that, this, that the Pharaoh has issued this decree. And then the moment comes that your child is born and it's a boy. So now you just imagine that your fear rises really to a level of panic. You, you fear for the life of your newborn child, but you also fear for your own life and you fear for the life of your family, the lives of your family members. In the case of Moses' family, it, it's not only his mother and father, but this wasn't their first child. They already had two children, Miriam and, and Aaron. So if we try to keep this child, we could all end up dead, right? If we go against the, the king's edict. And, and remember, these are slaves. They, they have no rights. They have no authority. There's no court that they can appeal to. There's no Supreme Court where they can say, hey, Pharaoh is doing something unconstitutional. There's no constitution, right? The, the law is whatever Pharaoh says it is. And so there's no recourse here for them. They didn't have any options. But what we see in Moses' parents is that their faith produced courage within their hearts. Instead of handing him over, they took the potentially deadly risk of hiding this child. They did it by faith. That's when all of these things begin. By faith, Moses' parents did this. Uh, it says it in the passage, it sp speaks of Moses, but clearly it's the faith of Moses' parents who took this step of, of hiding him. Their faith made them courageous. What did they believe? You know, we talk about faith, and sometimes we talk about it almost as if it is just this sort of magical substance. Like, if you just have faith, it'll make you courage. But, but, but there's something that our faith rests in, right? There's an object of the faith, right? The faith is our believing or our trusting. The question is, what were Moses' parents believing and trusting in that led them to be courageous in, in this moment? Well, I see several things here, and Jared did a wonderful job in, in uh, Sunday school talking about sola scriptura and talking about how when scripture implies something, it, it teaches often to us in, in that way. Uh, there are implications in scripture, and I think we can see some implications on, on the limited amount of information that is given to here about their, their motivation. But we see in verse number 23 it says, by faith, when Moses was born, hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So let's just take both of those. What did they believe? Well, I would say, first of all, they, they believed in the beauty and the value of human life. They saw that the child was beautiful. Exodus, it comes from Exodus 2.2. 2 in that account and it says the woman conceived and bore a son and when she saw that he was fi a fine child she hid him three months that word fine in the old testament just is simply the word for good and this could mean and can mean 
<clears throat> that Moses stood out as exceptional in some way. But, but first of all, see that this is just a recognition, I think, of the goodness and the beauty of human life. They saw that the child was good, that, that he was fine. Uh, that word good that is used in the Old Testament is actually the, the identical word that's used when God is creating the world in Genesis and he looks at everything and he says, it is good. It's good. There's something beautiful about it. There's something right about it. And I think that's what, first of all, we could just identify. Moses' parents saw the goodness and the beauty of human life that God created and that they knew that there was something deeply wrong, indeed wicked, in allowing this child to be murdered. This child is good. There's a beauty here. God gave us this child, and it would be wrong for us to allow him to be killed. There is a beauty in human life, and there's an application for that in our day and culture, isn't there, in, in which abortion is so prevalent. Uh, there is a goodness and a beauty to the life that God has given us, and it is wrong to allow that life to come to an untimely end or to take action to, to cause it to come to an untimely end. But second, I, I would say this. Not only did they just believe in the goodness and the beauty of this human life that God had given them, but I, I do believe that they believed uh, God was doing something unique and special with Moses. Again, I don't want to put too much uh, weight on that word good, but both the Hebrew and, and Greek word kind of have a wide range of meaning. In the same way, when we use the word good in, in our language, I mean, we can mean all sorts of different things. Like, I, I'm good. You know, somebody asks you, you want something to eat. No, I'm good. It means I'm, I'm satisfied, right? Or we can say something's good in, in the sense of moral, morally right and, and so forth. There's just a wide range uh, of meaning. The, the Hebrew word means beautiful, pleasant, excellent of its kind. Uh, the Greek word that's used in the book of Hebrews uh, literally means belonging to a city, well-bred, polite, polished, hence something that is elegant, fair, comely, or, or beautiful. So they have such a wide range of meaning. What we really have to do is understand the, the context. And I think as it's translated in, in our uh, version here, uh, the, the translators take it to mean some kind of physical beauty. And I think it's easy to assume there was something beautiful about Moses, even as a baby, in terms of his uh, physical appearance. But I think they mean something more than this child was just a really good-looking child, right? At, uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 7, when, when Stephen is talking about and recounting this same thing, this is what Stephen says, At this time Moses was born... And he was beautiful in God's sight. He was beautiful in God's sight. He's re referencing that same passage from Exodus 2. And, and he interprets it to mean that he's beautiful in, in God's sight. We know, right, that the Bible teaches God doesn't look just out the outward appearance. God is not, uh, God is not wild or impressive, impressed by how handsome or how beautiful we are. He looks at the heart, right? One of the things I think we see at play throughout the Old Testament is that when God endows a person with, with great abilities through his spirit, it, it really oftentimes is almost recognizable. People like Joseph, people like Daniel in the Old Testament, the king said of Daniel in the book of Daniel that they, they could tell he had an excellent spirit. 
There was an excellent spirit in him. What, what does that mean in the book of Daniel? There was an excellent spirit. It just means God's spirit, God's endowment, God's blessing was on him in such a unique and powerful ways that, that people who met Daniel and talked to him and conversed with him and saw Daniel do the things that he did understood this guy's just impressive. There, there's something unique about him. We even have that, I think, sometimes just with people who have natural endowments, right? Uh, just abilities and giftings that God gives to people. And sometimes we even hear that about great people as they were child, as they were children, right? You study great people, and oftentimes their parents and their family members will say, we knew all the way back when he was a kid. This kid was just impressive. There was something unique. There was something different about him than, than other children. And I think that is perhaps what is going on here. I think his parents, if we were maybe able to speak uh, with Moses' mother or with, with, her, with his parents, I, I think they would perhaps say something like, we just knew from the moment we laid eyes on him, there was something special about him. He, he was the most beautiful child you'd ever seen. And everyone could, could just tell by looking at him that God was going to use him in some great way, right? I, I think that's something of what, what's going on here. And, and I think they, they could see that because they had eyes of faith. No, they didn't know all that Moses was going to be able to do. No, perhaps they didn't all understand all of God's plan. But, but I do believe they saw something in Moses that through the eyes of faith helped them understand there's something unique about this child. And there was, right? God was going to use him to be the deliverer of his people. God was going to use him to speak to his people and deliver the word of God to them. And I think they understood some hint of that. And it was their faith in that, it was their understanding, this understanding given to them by faith that empowered them then to, to not be afraid of the king's edict. That's the third thing I think we see here. What did they believe that, that empowered them? Well, they believed that God would protect them from the king's edict. Pharaoh had absolute authority in Egypt. So if you defied the Pharaoh, you knew that the axe was going to drop on, on your head. But they understood something about God's protection, that they believed and trusted that God will take care of us. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to do what we know uh, is what we ought to do. And we're going to entrust ourselves to God. And we're not afraid of the king's edict. That's a big statement, isn't it? They were not afraid of this edict. They, they went about doing this, hiding Moses and keeping him from being put to death with courage. Most of us, I think, would, would be afraid. But it says they were not afraid of the king's edict. Listen, I think we need that kind of courage today. We need courage in our day and time, like Moses' parents, to obey God rather than, than man. In fact, that, that you see that kind of courage throughout the history of, of God's people. We see this kind of tyrant-defying faith in the life of other believers. Think, I mentioned Daniel earlier, but, but you remember the story of Daniel, right? How he, how he was commanded not to pray, and what does he do? He goes ahead and prays, right? He wants to obey God rather than man, and he does it with what? Faith-filled courage. He believed and he trusted that God would protect him, and as a result, he courageously went ahead with his life of prayer. The three Hebrew children 
who would not bow to the idol. They, they had faith that caused them to be courageous and to say, we're not going to worship this idol. You, king, can do whatever you want to do. We're in your power. You can throw us in the fiery furnace. You can put us to death. You can do whatever you want to do. But we have enough courage to say, we are not going to bow to this idol. It was their faith that enabled them to do that. We think all through the Bible, right? All the way into the New Testament, we see people like Peter and John, the apostles, who are preaching. They've seen the resurrected Christ and they have a faith and a trust in him now after his resurrection that is unshakable. And so they're out preaching the gospel and the same people that put Jesus to death don't want this message of his resurrection to be spread. And so they arrest Peter and John and they beat them and they tell them not to preach in the name of Jesus. And this is what it says in Acts 5.27. And when they have brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. You see, that's what Moses' parents did. That's what Daniel did. That's what the Hebrew children did. That's, that's what God's people are called to do. That's what you and I have to prepare ourselves to do. We must have this kind of faith-filled courage that will say, we must obey God rather than man. Whatever the consequences, you can, you can beat us, you can imprison us like they did the apostles, you can throw us in a fiery furnace. We are not going to bow. We are not going to hand our children over to be put to death. We are not going to give in to the pressure to disobey God, whatever form or fashion that pressure may come. We've got to obey God rather than man. And listen to me this morning. The only way you're going to be prepared to do that is if you have this kind of faith. If you have this trust in the Lord that, that God does have a plan, that God is working out a plan of redemption, and, and you entrust yourself to him knowing God can protect me from the, the edicts of kings and presidents and governors and, and anyone else. God can protect us. And so we go forward with faith. The only way that can be done is when we're emboldened by faith to obey God rather than man. Faith secondly, overcomes the fear of missing out on the pleasures of this world. Faith overcomes the fear of missing out on the pleasures of this world. You know, our fear is often connected to where we place value, right? If you value your retirement savings, what, what happens? You fear financial turmoil, right? I, I place value on this, and because I place value on it, then I fear something happening to it. If you value the opinions of others, then you fear doing or saying something that would cause others to think negatively about you. That's why the fear of man is, is such a snare, because I'm placing value on what other people think about me, and so my actions are going to be determined by what they think. Are they going to like this? Should I do this or not do this? Well, well, what will they think about if I do this or don't do that, right? I place value on that, and so as a result, that controls my fear, and that fear controls my actions. You value your life, right? So you don't do dangerous things. Our fear demonstrates what we value. This is why the fear of the Lord is a good thing. 
it demonstrates that we value him. We esteem him. We hold him in high regard. So we fear then doing something that would displease him. And that's the true fear that we ought to have is the fear of the Lord. As sinful people, our problem is that we tend to value the wrong things over wrong things or even sometimes good things we value too highly. And this produces in us a controlling fear that causes us to give ourselves to certain things. And so this is, I think, what we see at work with with Moses. The faith of, of Moses was a faith that overcame his fear of missing out on on this world. You see, Moses did not put his value on the things of this world. And we see this in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see, Moses didn't fear missing out on this word. You know the rest of the story. Moses was hidden for three months, and then eventually Pharaoh's daughter discovers Moses in this basket. She adopts him into their family, and Moses is really raised in in Pharaoh's household as part of Pharaoh's family with all of the blessings, with all of the, uh, the worldly prosperity that that could mean, all of the education, everything. But when Moses got old enough to understand everything, he rejected that. He, he threw all of that away. He gave all of it up and chose rather to be mistreated with God's people. What, what can explain that? Well, it was courageous, the courageous faith of Moses that overcame this fear of missing out on the world's good. Moses actually had all that the world could offer, and and yet he gave that up. By faith, verse 24 tells us that he rejected that. He did not fear losing it. And how did Moses come to that position? Well, it says that Moses considered. He considered that. You see that again in in verse 24, uh, or verse 26, rather. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. We talked last week about Abraham and how he did his calculation with faith, right? You know, I don't understand what's happening here. God gave this child to me. This is the child of God's promise. Now God is telling me to sacrifice him. But but Abraham, in, in, in just a purely humanistic kind of calculation, that doesn't make sense. But Abraham had faith in God. And he, he injected that faith into that calculation. And he said, God's going to do something to bring this child Uh, back to life well that's the same thing Moses is doing here it from a human perspective okay I have here I I, I have been adopted into Pharaoh's household I've been made part of his family I have had the finest education I have everything that this world could offer Uh, I, I mean I'm the grandson of the Pharaoh okay that's on one side of it on the other side here is is these people who are enslaved uh who who have nothing who are under complete subjection to Pharaoh. So now my decision is, which people am I going to identify with? And, and to us, in a worldly perspective, it would make no sense, right, to identify with these slaves. That wouldn't make sense at all. But, but Moses, like Abraham, considered something. He, he did a calculation, and his calculation wasn't 
based purely on, on the natural world. His calculation was infused with faith. He calculated based on what he knew to be true from God and from his word. Verse 25 tells us what he did. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. But verse 26 tells us why he did it. Verse 26 says he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking for the reward. You see, that's a calculation of faith. On a purely humanistic sort of naturalistic kind of outlook, this makes no sense. But he recognized to be identified with God's people, to be identified with Christ, is of greater worth, even if it means suffering right now, it's of greater worth than being the son or the grandson of Pharaoh because there's a future reward coming. Moses made a valuation. It says that he, he, he viewed this as greater than. That's a, that's a word of comparison, right? So he put these two things on the scale. He compared them and he decided that being a slave was better than being the son of the Pharaoh. You see, how could Moses do that? Well, he understood the true nature of things. First of all, he, he feared being cut off from the people of God. Uh, he feared being cut off from God's people more than he did mistreatment. He understood if I identify with God's people, I'm going to be mistreated. But I'd rather be identified with God's people and suffer for it than to be cut off from them, to be with the wealthy and the powerful, but to be cut off from God's people. He, he understood that. He understood that it would be better to be numbered with God's people in suffering than to be in a position of power and wealth with the wicked. This is what Psalm 37, 16 says. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. You see, Moses understood by faith that although God's people are suffering right now, God has a plan of redemption for them. There's a reward coming, and I want to be identified with them when all of this happens. That's of greater worth than in the short term being identified with Pharaoh. The second thing that Moses understood is that the pleasure of sin is fleeting. The, the pleasure of sin is fleeting. L look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You see, it, it looked enticing at the moment. There were pleasures. If you were the grandson of Pharaoh, let me tell you, there were pleasures. There were things that you could have that most people in this world have not been able to have. There, there were a lot of pleasures there, but he understood that those pleasures were fleeting pleasures. The only way he could come to that valuation, to that understanding, is by faith. He looked at it. It looks appealing. It looks good right now but I know that there's destruction coming. I, I know that ultimately that is not where good is going to be. It reminds me of 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, which warns each of us to make the same kind of valuation. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride of life, 
is not from the Father, but from the world. And this world is passing away. The, the, the things that this world offers, the desires, the pleasures that you can have in this world are passing away along with its, those, uh, along with those uh, who seek them. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so Moses understood that. The question is, do, do we understand that? There are pleasures in this world, but they are fleeting. The third thing that Moses understood is that there's suffering now, but there's a reward later. There's a reward later. It says in verse 26 that he was looking to the reward. And this is, again, a truth that we see all throughout the Bible. If you are part of God's people in this life, it's, it's some of what we talk about with faith looking to the future. We understood that oftentimes our life in this world is a life of suffering, but there's a reward in the future. 2 Timothy 2.11 says, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So the question for us, if you're going to overcome your fear of missing out on this world, and I think that is a fear that all of us have, right? That, that we're going to lose something, that, that, that we're not going to have everything that we would want to have in, in this world, and we place value on the things in this world. If we're going to overcome that fear, we're, we're going to have to come to a place where we infuse our valuations about what's important in this world with faith. See, I think one of the, the big dangers for many Christians is that we look at this world and we just look at it through through the natural eyes, right? We just look at what we can see and touch and, and we don't really evaluate things with faith. We, we make decisions with our children, with our finances. We make decisions in, in our relationships and the way that we live our life. We, we make dozens and hundreds and even thousands of decisions throughout our life and, and oftentimes we're making those decisions just based on the here and now. You see, that's problematic. For God's people, we can't be that. We can't do that, right? We need to be making decisions based on Christ, based on eternity, based on what God has re revealed to us. How many of us make these kinds of assessments based on, on faith? What kind of job are you going to do? How are you going to raise your children? What are you going to do with your finances? How are you going to spend your time? What, what is worthy of, uh, of really taking over your life and what, what is not? How many of us make those kinds of decisions based on what we know to be true from God's word? Faith overcomes this fear. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we, are, we pray, Lord, uh, that you would work in our hearts and lives. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to have this courageous, fear-defying faith. Lord, we, we pray because we, we recognize that oftentimes 
uh, our, our motivations and our affections are, are not singular. There, there's sometimes happiness with sadness. There's sometimes joy and sadness coexisting at, at the same time. And sometimes, Lord, uh, th- there is fear along with faith. We pray that you would strengthen our faith so that we would not be dominated, so that we would not be overcome by our fears, but that instead we, we would be controlled by faith in you. Really, our fear of you would be the greatest fear. God, we pray that you would work in us in this way. We pray that as we are making determinations and decisions in life, that we would have eyes of faith and and that we would courageously make decisions that to the world do not make sense. But in light of what you have revealed to us, make absolute perfect sense. Just help us to have those that kind of faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.